Welcome to the Good Growing Podcast. I am Chris Enroth, horticulture educator with University of Illinois Extension, coming at you from Macomb, Illinois. And we have got a great show for you today. We're going to be talking with state climatologist Trent Ford about what has been going on this year in terms of the weather and, and climate. And, 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 see, and we're going to chat maybe a bit about climate change and, and learn about Illinois weather for the most part. But before we get to Trent, we have to chat with our co-host with us every single week. We are joined by Katie Parker in Adams County. Hey, Katie. Hey, Chris. How are you doing? Cold. It's it's <laughs> chilly outside. It's right. I'm like, I it wasn't that bad. I felt like when we first took the kids to school, but now I went back outside to chat with some master gardeners, and it's cold. Yeah, yeah it, it's a definite change, uh, and it was a nice surprise to get some rain last night. I think we should have Trent on more often. So we I think so. Some, some rain. If if that's the trigger, <laughs> we have yeah. To, yeah. I think yeah, Mother Nature's like more. climatologist is tomorrow. Yeah, definitely. Oh yeah, you guys want to talk about how dry it's been? I'm gonna make it rain. So. <laughs> <laughs> You're all liars. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. And someone who I know is loving this cool weather is horticulture educator Ken Johnson in Jacksonville. Hey, Ken. It is some nice weather. We could probably drop another 10, 20 degrees. And oh, I'm sure be. you'd be happy with that. Yes. Yeah. Start so, opening up the house. Yeah. And how are are all of your cool season things up and running, Ken? <laughs> we planted a bunch of uh, lettuce and carrots and nothing came up. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> so I, I think we're pretty much done with the garden now. <laughs> Lettuce might still be hope for the carrots. They can be we, kind of we did, finicky. We, we planted them like a month and a half ago. <laughs> All right. Well, they're dead. They're Maybe you can try sprouts. next March. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Get some of those uh, January germinating carrots. Yes. You might need a greenhouse or a high tunnel to that, though. So we'll look into that. All right. Well, uh, speaking of all of the uh, like season extension, let's talk about seasons here in Illinois and let's introduce our special guest for today, Illinois State Climatologist Trent Ford. Trent, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. This is great. Well, we are happy to have you here and thanks so much for being a guest so that it would rain last night here. That's right. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about it here in a bit, but yeah, it's been pretty dry here, at least in our neck of the woods. So um, just, but we're, we're kind of curious before we dive into our questions that we have for you. Um, I want to know a little bit more about you um, sure. in terms of climatology and, and, and the study of that. So um, where did you go to school first off? And, 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 you know, did you have something that like sparked, like, I want to learn about climate science as a yeah. child or before that? Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm originally from Roanoke, Illinois, which is, um, um, kind of North central, not too far from Peoria. Um, and I, I spent my whole childhood there, uh, did my bachelor's degree at Illinois state university there in normal. And, um, I, I actually studied geography, actually all three of my degrees are in geography and not in mm -hmm. atmospheric science or physics or, uh, any other, uh, uh, kind of discipline that people typically come to climate science from. Um, and, and so I was actually, I was always interested in weather and climate. It's sort of hard to grow up in Illinois and not get interested in weather because it's so yes. dynamic <laughs> as you all were discussing, but, um, I was also interested in spatial patterns. Uh, we travel a lot as kids, you know, going on vacations and stuff. And you could just look out the window and see how the landscape changes when you head north, south, east, or west, and even just across Illinois. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and the climate has a big part of that. And so I kind of sort of came from climate science from kind of the spatial 
patterns and the statistics uh, point of view more than the extreme weather and that sort of thing. And so um, after um, my, my time at Illinois State, I went down to Texas A&M University and studied, um, learned a little bit more about climate science and, and uh, um, got a master's and PhD down there. And then before I um, came to the University of Illinois as the state climatologist. I spent four years as a professor in the geography department at um, at Southern Illinois University in Carbondale. So I've been, uh, you know, many different places, but across the state, uh, pretty familiar with with, uh, with with the state's very diverse landforms and climates. And um, yeah, like I said, I mean, my, my interest really came from a statistics, from a numbers kind of standpoint, trying to explain the spatial patterns and the variability, and, and that always interested me. But of course, also, um, you know, the, the sort of extreme weather events like uh, like uh, drought and severe storms and things like that. Um, but, you know, the, the kind of extremes that I was always interested in in the research that I do, um, a lot of it has to do with more of the slowly sort of slow evolving insidious sorts of extreme events like extreme heat and drought that a lot of folks don't really take a lot of interest in because it's not as big and bold as a tornado in your face sort of sort of a event but um but you know impactful nonetheless i i will say i took intro to geography in southern and that triggered something in within me that's like i love maps <laughs> this is like and then i started i studied landscape architecture after that like where i get to like draw things out on and plan view and stuff so i, I loved it yeah yeah i uh, just uh, a state secret here is that the vast majority of people who get geography degrees and become you know, whatever it is out of geographers don't start in college as geographers and may not even be able to tell you what geography is, because often in, in, in K through 12, it's, it's, it's taught as kind of social studies or which is kind of an off form of history. Right. And so, yeah. uh, so it's the state secret is, is that geography departments and, and universities recruit heavily from their introductory classes. And so the idea is to get you interested in all of these things. And, and like you mentioned, we get a lot of, of, um, of people coming in and saying, wow, this is amazing. I, I've never thought about that before, about why, for example, when you're driving on, on I-57 from Chicago all the way down to Carbondale, that you hit Mount Vernon and all of a sudden a bunch of trees pop up, right? Yeah. And and, uh, and so that that's uh, those are the kind of things that that really get people's um, you know, attention. And and so that's a that's a big pull for geography. Definitely. So okay, so you you've you've been around the state, even down in Texas. Mm -hmm. um, then now you are as uh, the, the Illinois State Climatologist. So tell us a bit about what is that like? What is your role there? Uh, and like, who are you working with? Like farmers? Are you doing research? Uh, what's happening? Yeah, all the above. Um, so I took over from my predecessor, Jim Angel, who had been in the position for quite some time um, back in 2019. And um, I mean, I had a good idea of what the job was, but it ended up that I actually didn't have a great idea what the job was because it's, it's many, many different things. So part of it is research. And at, at, at my heart, I am a researcher. I'm, I'm interested in the, the patterns and data and statistics and things like that. And so um, research, but uh, it's kind of research with a big R writ large. So there's, there's the hardcore number crunching, trying to figure out return intervals for drought and um, you know climate change and changes in, in things related, especially crops and things like that, but, but also research as in, um, you know, uh, working with folks across 
different sectors to try to um, better communicate the impacts of climate and climate change, uh, better understand how climate influences what they're doing, um, translate information uh, to make it usable for different sectors. And so when you when you mentioned the the other piece of that, the outreach and engagement, the folks that I'm working with is, is across the board. I would say the, that, that the, the, the sector that I interact with the most is the agriculture and horticulture sector, just because, you, as you imagine, it's a big part of Illinois, but also uh, it's impacted pretty greatly by climate and climate change. But, um, you know, I mean, uh, I'll, I'll interact with environmental groups, with urban planners, with emergency managers. Um, and honestly, I think the, the outreach and engagement side of the state climatologist office, um, which is mainly me, I mean, it's, a, it's a one person office. Um, Honestly, the best way I can describe it is those is is like those old uh, uh, videos of the 1950s and 60s or maybe 40s and 50s uh, telephone operator folks, you know, or the way they'd plug and they'd, oh, you want to connect mm -hmm. with this person. For whatever reason, I have, I'm this this person who who you know has these connections all over the state of people doing all sorts of different things. And what it's come to is a lot of people will come and say, hey, do you know a person who does this, that, or the other thing where I have this idea related to climate? And I'm like, oh, this person over here has that has that idea and then I connect. Uh, so so that and and that's that's a that's actually a really I, I actually really enjoy that part of my job because I'm kind of connecting people around um, you know and, and, and a lot of that those connections that are made it, it it has to deal with climate resilience you know improved understanding of the climate so it all you know is for the common good hopefully of the state but um, but it, it's kind of an interesting um, an interesting position because those connections are are um, yeah are really interesting. So with these next couple of questions, we're going to be asking you about the weather that we've experienced this year. So before we get into those questions, we just want to clarify, can you distinguish between weather and climate? Yeah, there's lots of analogies for the difference between weather and climate. I used to, uh, the most common is that weather, climate is what you expect, weather is what you get. So when you expect September to be, um, September is an oddball, let's not use that example. You expect December to be cold and it's 75 degrees and you get a tornado warning, that's a bit unexpected. That's kind of the weather variability versus climate. Another maybe way to think about it is, um, I've heard this described as, if you think about weather and climate as, as a person, your climate is your personality and your, your weather is your current mood. So usually I'm a pretty easygoing person, but the other day when my three-year-old, you know, threw a temper tantrum and knocked over his milk and, um, you know, I, I was not an easygoing person at that time. So that's sort of the difference between weather and climate. And so when we talk about climate change, it is inextricably tied to weather. So the climate is sort of your baseline onto which weather sort of varies. So, you know, for example, we can get relatively cool days in the warm season. We can get relatively warm days in the cold season. Um, and that's that sort of weather variability on top of what are, is typically our climate. All right. So this spring, at least here in western, uh, west central Illinois, it uh, seemed like we got a lot of significant amount of rain um, throughout the spring. Um, and that kind of led to um, <clears throat> a lot more diseases and stuff for certain species. Was that kind of significant, the amount of rain? And is that kind of something to look forward to in the years to come? Or yeah, so it was extremely wet in uh, especially kind of that transition between spring and summer uh, in Western Illinois. So I was, I was crunching some numbers. The, the Western Climate Division, which goes from, um, you know, the kind of Galesburg, Monmouth area all the way to the Mississippi River near Quincy. Um, they recorded their uh, a 10th wettest May to July. So it's May, June, July, all put together their 10th wettest on record. And those records go back to 1895. So it was very wet at that time. It was something like nearly 
five inches wetter than average over that three month period. Um, and so that, that was, um, it, it was interesting because of, it was, it was a real contrast to what was going on in Northern Illinois, uh, which most of Northern Illinois was dealing with pretty significant drought throughout the spring. And it just persisted into summer and now into fall. Um, but it, you know, it, it was a, a very wet time period, uh, late spring, early summer this year. Um, as far as, as like long-term trends and expectations for the future, we have seen that both spring and summer total rainfall has increased over the last 150 years pretty significantly, uh, summer to a little bit of a larger extent than, than uh, or excuse me, spring to a little bit of a larger extent than summer has. Um, and, and models really, when we think about projections of changes in seasonal rainfall into the future, models are pretty consistent about continued increases in spring precipitation. Um, and that's especially in later spring, like April, May, and June. Um, models are less consistent with projections of summer precipitation, but that kind of wetting of spring is a pretty solid signal uh, throughout Illinois, but in Western Illinois in particular. And so, um, you know, the, the kind of springs that, that we've been dealing with the last few years, when you think about this year, 2019 was extremely wet, 2018 was wet in some places. Um, you know, those, the, the, the frequency of those kind of excessively wet springs, it, it is increasing and is, is, uh, is expected to continue increasing throughout the, the the, the middle and later part of this century. Uh, is, geography is very important, as we've established, I think. But uh, when people are sending you questions, I, got, I get a lot of lawn questions. And they're like, what's wrong, wrong with my lawn? And it's like brown. Like, <laughs> where are you? And they're like, northern Illinois. I'm like, oh, OK. Yeah. Yeah. You have like a federal drought emergency going on up there. It's It was dry. Still is yeah. dry. as you, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the spring was really the heart of that drought and that's where some places got, you know, um 5 to 10% of normal spring drought. And that was that was really concerning because we there were impacts, but the spring is a wet time period anyway. You're not really going to see a lot of drought impacts manifest in spring. Water demand is somewhat low still. You know, a lot of times farmers prefer to plant in relatively dry soils, develop that root profile, all of those kind of things. So that's the thing about drought monitoring in the spring is it can become really difficult because yeah, there's really, really dry and it's unusually dry, but there's not a whole lot of people complaining about it. Um, mm -hmm. And so uh, so it was really in the summertime that oh, temperatures naturally begin to increase and you start to see some of those impacts because the rain just didn't come or the rain that did come to Northern Illinois it just wasn't, it wasn't enough to make up from those spring deficits. And so uh, tack on what has started uh, as a very dry fall up there. And yeah, they're dealing with some pretty significant moisture deficits. Now, I mean, agricultural impacts, they've run their course. It is what it is. Ecological impacts uh, are hopefully staved off if we can get a good amount of rain this winter. Um, but I think that kind of the, the big thing moving forward there is the soil moisture um, pretty deep down is depleted. And so we really need a good recharge. But you're right. I mean, your main point that, you know, that was a very spatially, that is a spatially isolated drought. And you get south of I-80 and it's been dry over the last few weeks, but I mean, they've had abundant precipitation, if not excessive precipitation uh, for, for the last few months. And so, um, you know, when you talk about like the state of Illinois, often there can be quite a bit of variability, but uh, the difference between, you know, the very driest part of the state this summer and the very wettest part of the state was anywhere between, you know, uh, 20 to 30 inches uh, difference as far as rainfall. So um, a lot of variability this year for sure. Okay. So other maybe hyper-local things, and I know I need to be careful with uh, my personal observations, but it felt like this summer was humid 
and still like there was no wind. And I, I talked to a few other people in my neck of the woods and they said, you know, usually we get a good breeze. You can open the windows. We get that cross breeze. It felt like for a large chunk of this year, at least summer months, um, there just was not much wind. So what is that something? Is there something effect uh, affecting this? Like our like our crops, do they play a role in like wind that moves across Illinois? Yeah. So this summer was very humid. It's not it's playing out in the data. Um, in, in some places in central Illinois, it was, you know, when you talk about like an average dew point temperature, other measure of humidity, it was, you know, like top 10, top five, most humid summers on record. Um, and, and one of the biggest things, the patterns we saw is that it wasn't just humid in the afternoon, it was humid at night. Um, mm -hmm. And so when you talk about opening your windows, folks couldn't open their windows, couldn't cool down at night uh, because it was just so humid. So even if the temperature got down to the high 60s at night, which it didn't all that often, um, it was still humid. So it was very uncomfortable to have your windows open. Um, and, and as you mentioned, that the breeze really didn't help with that either, uh, the lack of a breeze. And so you know, there's a big circulation feature that establishes in the summertime. It's really important for summer climate for most of the eastern U.S. is called the Bermuda High. It's a big high pressure system that establishes somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean. If it establishes, if it sets up in the summertime too far over the eastern U.S., we could end up with drought, could end up with, with some, some, some rough areas, especially in the southeast U.S. If it establishes really far in the Atlantic, uh, as it did this year, then uh, the, the flow sort of around that big high pressure system brings a lot of the uh, Gulf of Moist or Gulf of Mexico uh, air up uh, from from the Gulf and, and brings us a lot of heat and a lot of humidity. And that's what happened this year. And the, the kind of persistence you talk about where it's just consistently humid this summer mm -hmm. was because that feature established in June and it just didn't move uh, really until just a few weeks ago. Um, so you probably noticed, although September has been warm so far, um, it, it hasn't been as humid. So I've noticed right. definitely in September, the nights have been much more pleasant. Um, the, you can see the sun, uh, things like that. So that has been, um, but, but, but especially in July and August, it was very, very humid because we just kept getting this, this strong southerly flow off the Gulf of Mexico that brought us lots of um, humidity. Um, and, and with that, um, it became not a very strong breeze. So the kind of breezes, the nice summer breezes you, you, you talk about, that's when we get kind of that intrusion of, of cooler air from the Northwest. And we just didn't get that. We couldn't break that system. And so now the crops, as you mentioned, that does play a role, especially in the humidity. We have a, an actively transpiring corn crop or even soybean crop, um, it really does uh, uh, um, uh, affect surface humidity across the state because we're, we're moving a lot of water from the soil up into the air. So, um, you know, anybody who's, who's detasseled and gone into a cornfield and compare that to outside can, can, can understand that. And so that, that is definitely adding to that, you know, the, the, the dominant humidity source of that air moving from the Gulf of Mexico, adding to that with the corn crop. And so it's just overall made for a you know, not an excessively hot summer, honestly, for the state of Illinois, um, but but kind of an unpleasant one, honestly, for as far as weather is concerned. Yeah, I, a lot of people pointed to the smoke from out west playing a role in humidity or did that do anything? Yeah, it played a role in temperature. It doesn't really play a role much with humidity. Um, we saw this summer statewide that the that the um, average temperature was something like 10th or 11th warmest on record, but the the state the statewide summer minimum temperatures were much warmer than the maximum temperatures, or at least the anomalies were higher. So um, the, the minimum temperatures were something like 6th or 7th warmest on record. And, uh, and that had a lot to do with that humidity, whereas our daytime high temperatures weren't nearly as elevated 
And part of that was a wildfire smoke. So that haze that kind of said what that did is it reduced the amount of energy coming in from the sun overall. And, uh, um, and so that, 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 that kind of tamps down the, uh, or dampens the, um, the, the, the daytime high. So it was a bit of a different kind of signal um, of, of a summer than we got. But, you know, it's, it's actually a data point in a longer term trend of where summertime minimum temperatures, so like the nighttime minimum temperatures, uh, have increased over the last 50 to 70 years at, at three to four times the rate of the daytime maximum temperatures. And, and so that's sort of a, a pattern that we've seen recently here in Illinois. Seems like we set a lot of records this year. <laughs> <laughs> There's always records to break, you know, every, every single, but yeah. So actually one interesting point was that, um, this summer, so June through August is how climatologists and meteorologists define summer. Uh, that period was the warmest on record for the entire contiguous U.S. Um, and it, it just edged out uh, the summer of 1936, which is always held up as this big, huge, you know, warm. Uh, the, the difference was a spatial pattern there. Most of the, the record-breaking heat this summer was out west, especially in the, in the far northwest in Washington, Oregon, California, Nevada. Um, and uh, But, you know, we also had a, a fairly warm summer here. It was just not... We, we didn't get the kind of heat that we got in 1936, where we got day after day, it was 100, 105, 110 degrees. This summer, it was 90, 92, 91, uh, but the humidity was really, really high. So kind of a different yeah. flavor of heat there. So it seems like for the past few autumns that we've had, um, it has been drier. Is this actually happening or is it something that we're imagining? And what could be the cause for this? Yes. Yeah, so September has gotten drier. So there's a, there's a, decreasing rainfall trend in September uh, uh, statewide and, and across Western Illinois in particular um, uh, over the last 50 to 70 years. And um, that, that it, it's, it's decreasing at a rate of like two tenths of an inch per decade. So it's not a, a tremendous rate, but when you think about just September rainfall, September is a pretty dry month anyway, it can be significant. So um, that is a pattern we're seeing. It's, it's less so in late autumn so October, November, uh, we don't really see that pattern. So it's really this kind of late summer to early fall sort of transition that has tended to be drier, especially in the last decade or so. Um, as far as causes for that, there really hasn't been much proposed as far as like, this is why we're seeing this decrease. Um, we have seen an extension of the summer season. So sometimes with, when we think about climate change, people talk about shifts or shifting seasons. That's not really a great way to think about it because we're not shifting the seasons. They're not happening at a different time. What we're doing is we're expanding the summer and shrinking the winter. Um, and so if you think about a pie chart, you know, uh, uh, equal seasons in Illinois taking up uh, one quarter of each of the, the the pie chart. In this case, summer is expanding. Maybe it's taking up a third instead of a quarter in that equivalent decrease in wintertime. And so with, with that happening, what, what we're seeing is that what we'd expect the kind of, the kind of uh, weather for mid to late August is now expanding into mid, in some cases, late September. And so, you know, uh, uh, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago, kind of the climate that we expect in Illinois after living here for several decades is... Um, September begins the autumn season where we begin to see 
the pretty regular passing of cold fronts, bringing us cooler air. And along that front, we see the kind of widespread rainfall, sort of what we saw uh, last night across the state. Um, and, and what we're seeing is that that timing of that rainfall is getting pushed later into September and even into October. So the early part of September is acting more like late August than it is like early October. Um, that's sort of one theory of why we're seeing that sort of drying trend. At the same time, temperatures are increasing. And actually, over the last 30 years, uh, September average temperatures have increased more than any other month statewide across Illinois. And every single county in Illinois has a significant increase in September temperatures over the last 30 years. So it's not just, you know, it's not consistent just within September, but all across the state. And again, that's just that extension of summertime that we're seeing being pushed farther into September than we would normally expect. Um, and so, so that that's really one, one, uh, one of the kind of explanatory factors of why, again, September has really been uh, more and more a sort of second August than it is necessarily a start to fall. So good news, bad news there. Um, the bad news is for fall lovers like myself, we have to wait a little bit of extra time. Um, and, you know, the trees are a bit confused by that. And so sometimes, especially when we get a lot of September heat, like we got this month, um, even with adequate moisture, the trees just kind of go brown. Um, I, I'm having that a couple with with a couple of trees that would normally have some good fall color this year. Um, but the the and, and you know the the good news on this side when you think about more of the the um, you know the commodity crops is that we're getting that dry down period. Um, and so kind of what we saw this year where um, you know it was a even in areas that got an abundant amount of moisture during the growing season, those crops dry have dried down very quickly. And it's just because it's been in the high 80s, low 90s for, for you know, two weeks in a row with absolutely no rain. And, um, and so that's the sort of pattern that we're kind of seeing uh, more and more in September. And so, um, you know, how that it's interesting, because you, you think about the beginning of the growing season, we're seeing that increasing trend in spring rainfall, which could delay ca cause some issues with with planting delays and things like that. Um, we may see some compensation on the back end of the growing season with uh, with a drier and warmer September. So somewhat related to that. So you mentioned that um, kind of summer is getting a little longer and winter is shrinking. It seems like kind of the same thing is happening with spring. It seems, you know, we have spring and then just boom, all of a sudden so summer, there's really no kind of gradual buildup anymore. Is that the case too? Yeah. So we're also seeing temperatures increasing in, in, in May and June, uh, le less of an extent than, or less of a degree than, than September. And we, uh, part of that is this kind of thermal inertia. So um, if you think about like, uh, you know, the reason that um, July kind of mid to mid, uh, early to mid July is the hottest part of the year, despite the fact that the sun is at its highest position in, in, in around June 20th, June 21st, uh, we have that thermal inertia. So it takes some time for the earth system to gain its heat that's getting from the sun. And so that, that kind of maximum temperatures tend to be highest in July. Well, this is the kind of thing is that as, as summer's heat up as the overall you know climate warms in Illinois if you think about that momentum of the summer heat carrying over into September and that's what's happening here it's it, it is happening in May and June but because we're coming out of spring and winter in that period of time we have less of that kind of momentum carrying us and so we are seeing warming at the at the end of spring but less of an extent than we are at the end of summertime um, one thing we are seeing interesting when we think about winter especially late winter, is that the last few years we've had this 
interesting pattern where the same kind of momentum that carries us from summer into fall also carries fall into winter. So December's have December's have warmed at a uh, nearly the same degree as September has. And so what we've had the last few years is these really mild winters in December and January. And then we get just a beast of a February, right? That, that reminds yeah. us that we still live in Illinois. Uh, and, and that can sometimes carry over into March and April as well. And so um, it's this weird, it's just an interesting pattern. It, it, it is. And, and, and part of it has to deal with, with climate change. Part of it has to do, of course, natural variability. Um, but when you're talking about like spring um, or early summer heat, we, we are seeing that pattern. It's just a little bit less of an extent than, um, than, uh, than, than late summer, for sure. So ultimately, you're saying that spring is going to become summer and fall, <laughs> or and winter is going to be fall. So we're going to have two seasons, summer and fall. I, I don't know. We'll see uh, how exact that, you know, we, we still live in Illinois. So, you know, I mean, the, the state record minimum low temperature was broken just a couple of years ago in Mount Carroll. So we can still get pretty cold. Uh, we saw the that polar vortex sort of uh, issue come up in February last year. So we'll still have distinct seasons. They just may not be as distinct as we maybe have remembered them 30 or 40 years ago. Um, and, and, and like I mentioned, you think of that pie chart, you know, my ideal climate, honestly, is one where um, each season takes up its due 25% of the time. Uh, so by the time I'm tired of summer, which happens usually in mid-August, it's, it's getting done. Uh, what we're seeing is this kind of, um, like I mentioned, the extension of summer, the shrinking of winter, so that um, fall and spring may be the same length as they always were. They're just a bit shifted, but certainly winter is, is, is overall becoming more mild. Yeah. Not a good, not a good uh, outlook for snow lovers either, to be honest, especially in the central and southern parts of the state. Well, and we have to go north. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Moving to Canada. Yep. Yep. Get a trailer for your snowmobile because you got to go up to uh, Wisconsin for that. Oh, goodness. Trent, I, I was going to say, I love the visual that pops in my head when you explain thermal inertia. I had not heard that term before. <laughs> But now there is like this, this visual of summer heaving itself, like building and like heaving itself into fall. So I love that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was always a good, uh, a great question um, on when I, when I had, uh, when I taught um, introductory weather and climate at, at SIU was, you know, why is it if the sun, so we established the sun's highest in the sky in June, why is it? hottest in July. And then it would usually take them some time to figure out like, oh, well, it takes time for the, you know, for the, for the temperatures to build up. All right. So when it comes to kind of informing the public about climate and weather, um, are there any resources or kind of any data uh, places online that we can kind of look um, to check? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I always say for weather, the National Weather Service is, um, should be the first place you start. Um, and, uh, you know, weather.gov, um, I'm sure most people who are listening to this have some sort of weather app on their phone. Those are varying quality, uh, and some are very good. Some are not very good at all. So the national, we, we all pay for the national weather service. We might as well use it. So, um, that, and, and they have, you know, that's where the, the, the federal government certifies the forecast. And so, uh, that's a good place and making, making sure that you're signed up for their text alerts. Uh, they just started this a few months ago where they're texting now a 
alerts for severe weather, um, you know, severe thunderstorms, tornadoes, uh, winter storms, uh, and as well as things like red flag warnings, which is really relevant for this time of the year when folks are out with their combines, um, making sure they're understanding the fire kind of fire weather situations. Um, as far as climate is concerned, you know, one of the best sites that I like to mess around with is, is NOAA's, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, Climate at a Glance, that's what it's called. And I, I can give you the URL, but nobody's going to remember it. So you just Google NOAA climate at a glance or just climate at a glance. It'll pop up. And what it does is it gives you the opportunity to kind of go from global to city scale. And you can do state and county and climate division, whatever you want. And you can plot uh, map temperature, precipitation, minimum, maximum temperature, drought indices, things like that. You can map the long-term time series and the trend. You can look at actual maps to see how it varies by county for individual months or long strings of months or seasons. There's a lot of stuff to do. Now, it takes some getting used to. As a climatologist, it all makes sense to me. But for a person who is not a climate uh, scientist, it may take some getting used to, to to kind of figure out what exactly is what. But it's worth spending some time on, especially if you want to think about, you know, what just happened as far as this last month's climate or weather in the perspective of the long-term climate. Um, or, or you want to look at uh, long-term climate change. That That's a great resource as well. The other page, and this is just a, a shameless pl uh, plug, is the State Climatologist Office website. Um, again, I can give you the URL, but just look up Illinois State Climatologist Office um, uh, on, on, on Google and it'll pop up there. One tab that I'd, I'd like to point uh, everyone to, so the main, the main website, you know, it's got the WordPress tabs. Uh, the, the last tab on, um, on that site is, is, is climate change in Illinois. Uh, and uh, here at the University of Illinois, along with folks at Northwestern, um, at folks in Extension were involved. We, we just completed a, a climate assessment for the state of Illinois earlier this year. Um, and it, it looks at uh, historical and projected changes in our climate here in Illinois, and then, and then impacts to different sectors that are important in this state. So agriculture is one, but also public health, uh, natural resources and ecosystems. Um, and um, there's a link to the full report there. And the full report, the assessment is uh, on, on on the state climatologist uh, office website, um, the, the the report is written not for scientists but for non-scientists. And so, if folks are really interested in the details of climate change, is something that interests them, um, of course, they should reach out to me. And my contact is on our website, the state climatologist office website. Uh, but also that report is a really good resource for people to really dig into um, if they're interested in climate change and sort of what we've seen and what we're expecting to see and the impacts, um, you know, moving forward. Excellent. Well, we can uh, we can put links in our show descriptions uh, to all, all of the sites that Trent has mentioned. So uh, this was a lot of fantastic information. Trent, thank you so much for being here today. We do appreciate your time. Hey, thanks for having me. This is great. Hopefully I can come back on at a later date and we can we can talk some more. Maybe maybe talk about the White Sox chance of a playoff run this year. We'll see. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. Not based on what I saw last week when I well, was yeah. tune in. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Ken, you're a Chicagoan. You you probably have a say in this. Actually, right? for baseball, actually, Cardinals fan. So oh what? Deal. you and my wife. <laughs> I mean <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. We're, yeah. So, but yeah, <laughs> interesting. Okay. Well, I've, I learned something new about our co-hosts every single week. So uh, their chances Trent, are looking pretty good. Who the Cardinals? Yeah. We have nine yeah. game winning streak. You now. could say yeah. that in April every year. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, Trent, thank you so much. Yes. You well, we'll have you back. We're going to, we'll, we're going to do a deep dive into climate change, climate science, and, and, and really 
get into that, I think, uh, in, uh, probably coming up in the winter or next spring. So but thank you very much again. Great. Yep. Yeah. The Good Growing Podcast is produced by Wendy Ferguson and edited by me, Chris Enroth. A special thanks to our co-host uh, with us every single week, Katie Parker, Ken Johnson. Thank you guys for being here. Yeah, thank you, Trent, for all the useful information. And Ken, I think uh, the Cardinals are looking for a catcher. You should definitely try out. <laughs> hey, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> can re- replace Yachty. <laughs> my, my, my eye hand coordination is not good. <laughs> <laughs> From sticking all those insects all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yes, thank you, Trent, for being on. Um, learned a lot. And Chris and Katie, as always, thank you. Want to do this again next week. Oh, we shall do this again next week. We will be chatting about some gardening-related topic. I guarantee it. I, 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 Ken really wants to talk about moss. We'll see, Ken, if we'll be able to talk about moss. But um, uh, we, we'll, we'll dive through that topic if we can. So, But anyway, listeners, thank you for doing what you do best. And that is listening, or if you're watching us on YouTube, watching. And as always, keep on growing.